The Lord be with you. Let us pray. God in heaven, we thank you, thank you, thank you that you are uh, so faithful to us, that you see the horizon, Lord. Uh, you see beyond the horizon when we, when we can't. And so, God, there's much evidence in, uh, in this scripture today that we can trust you and that we, are, we know the safest place that we can be is in your hands, Lord God. And so, God, I pray that you would give us that faith because our, our inclination is to run out of your hands and to, and to take things into our own hands. And so just pray, God, that you would help us to trust you uh, through these scriptures today and uh, make them come alive to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the topic for today, as Elaine comes around with these uh, sheets, is uh, Jesus gets apocalyptic. I, I confess that I have uh, always read Matthew, the end of Matthew, with a little, not uh, skepticism is not right, but wonder, perhaps. Like, and I, you know, as I was really studying it, and I actually learned a lot about this passage in studying it. I, don't, I must not have ever really studied it before. I mean, I've just gone and gone, gosh, I don't know, how are we going to know when these things are going to happen? And I don't know if you've, if you've read ahead. We'll, we'll, we'll read it. But it's, it's, I mean, the end of Matthew is a little freaky. It, it really is. And we don't always know what to make of it. But last week, we got the seven woes, if you were here. Um, and, and Jesus vehemently, pointedly, maybe even angrily, points out, uh, the hypocrisy of the religious system, and in particular uh, of those who run the religious system, which is the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, he talks about, I mean, just, just for example, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you pile up heavy burdens, but you don't lift a finger. In other words, you, you make the demands of the law so difficult, but you are not... Um, but, but you're not following it yourself. Or you, know, uh, or you tithe, this was always one of the fascinates me, you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, but you neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Uh, the weightier matters of the law is what he says. You, know, you should have done that. I mean, it's good that you're tithing mint and dill and cumin. I mean, just, you know, in other words, down to the very teeniest little detail of your life, you're, you're looking at this one thing, but you are neglecting how you treat other people. And the systems that, that run our life together. You're like whitewashed tombs, he said. Beautiful on the outside, but inwardly full of dead man's bones. And that is quite an indictment. In fact, the whole, the whole, uh, the whole passage that we read last week is, is uncomfortable. This week's, and next week's really too, also uncomfortable. But, but um, you know, we do well, I think, as Jesus' disciples, not to point the finger at the Pharisees and said, boy, I'm glad I'm not like those guys. Uh, that would be in some way to repeat their same sin, but to examine our lives uh, and see where these indictments actually hit close to home. Right? Where, where do we have some hypocrisy? Where are we demand, setting standards up high uh, for others, but not following them ourselves? Where are we attending to little religious details, but not treating other people uh, with righteousness and mercy um, and and you know are we um, do we care more about what others see on the outside than what's really going on 
on the inside? Um, and the answer to that is yes, you know, almost inevitably. And um, I mean, not for everybody, but but we all have that tendency. And I can remember my um, my mentor, who was um, Frank Limehouse, dean of the cathedral at Advent. You know, just a in, in my mind, a, a very godly man, if not always a very righteous man. But he, um, uh, and but he he just says, you know, this is this is the hardest one. I look good. I can look good on the outside. I got my Alden shoes. I got you know, I got this. Uh, the suit that you know I paid big money for, and and um, what he said is the Lord looks on the heart. If I don't have a savior, I'm in big trouble. Woe be unto me. So he has Jesus has these seven um, seven woes, and then he what we didn't really get to last week is he laments. He has this lament. In other words, he's just not he's he's not only angry, and I think it's really important for us to know. And understand this lament. So I'm just going to read it. It's not in your. It's not on your sheet. I'm just going to read it. It says, "Oh, so he's just had the seven woes, but in the same breath, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? It's a really like a matriarchal image." Just this, as a hen gathers up her chicks under her wings. And he says, but you were not willing. Time and time again, I've sent you the prophets. I've sent, I've called you to righteousness. I've called you to faithfulness. You were not willing. And then he says, see, your house is left to you desolate. And he's talking about the temple. He doesn't mean the temple is, you know, the furnishings are gone. He means the faith is gone. The furnishings are good. They look good on the outside. It's the faith. The faith of the temple. Your house is left to you desolate. And it's easy to just read past that and go, huh, and just keep going. But that is, that is a searing, and it's, it's part of this lament. I mean, that's not what he wants. It, he is broken. It breaks his heart. It breaks the heart of God. That his church, his in this case his temple, would be faithless, would be in it for themselves. In fact, the whole system itself would be geared toward uh, personal um, righteousness and the and the admiration of others, rather than the uh, true worship of God. He says, "I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he.'" who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that's kind of a strange sentence. This, that's the end of the chapter. And, he, and he, leave, he drops the mic, right? And he leaves the temple. That's it. And Jesus will not be in the temple again. That's, that, that is, it's, all, it's all kind of symbolic. He's leaving the temple, and he won't be in the temple again. Because who, where is his temple now? Heaven. No. Not heaven. It's in you. You are his temple. You are his temple. That is his dwelling place. Now, yes, is he seated at the right hand of God? Yes. I don't mean he's not there. He's both. So, um, the temple, the works-oriented, faithless worship of the temple um, is is the end of the woes. The the consequence and the circumstance of, of the woes. The religious hypocrisy. And it sets us up for the, right into the, neck, the question that the... Um, 
about the temple that the disciples pose. And the other, the other authors of the Gospels don't spend so much time with the woes. They set it up a different way. But that's, this is how Matthew, he, he really, he really um, sets Jesus against this, the whole system, the whole system uh, of, uh, of the religious uh, establishment, the Pharisees, scribes and the Pharisees. So Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Doesn't that seem a little bit like, I mean, Jesus just let, you know, just poured his heart out. Woe to you, woe to you. I, you, I would have gathered you up. And the disciples were like, man, look at the architecture. I mean, that just seems a little odd, doesn't it? But Jesus says, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be one left here one stone upon another they will not be thrown down. Matthew is sealing the indictment. That's, that's what it, it does seem odd that they would be concerned about that, but, um, but Matthew is using that statement of Jesus to seal the indictment. Uh, the temple will literally be torn down. And of course, it was. It was 70 AD. And so he, go, he leaves, he would have left on the uh, east I believe the east side of, of Jerusalem and walked down the steep hill to the Kid, through the Kidron Valley and up the steep hill for you guys this way up the steep hill uh, to the mount up the Mount of Olives and he's sitting there probably looking over Jerusalem which you can do today and it's fabulous so there's a big golden dome there um, and he sat on the Mount of Olives the disciples came to him privately saying tell us. When will these things be? And what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age? So, the whole chapter, which we're not going to get all of it today. The whole chapter is concerned with Jesus' answer to these two questions. It's two questions. When will these things be? And what will be the signs? And there's, that, there's two parts to the what, to the what question. When, the when question, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the sign of the end of the age? Maybe those things are together. Uh, maybe that's the same part and parcel together. We'll look at that next week. Today we're answering the when question. Jesus is describing what it's going to look like. But the what question we'll get to next week. That's uh, it's kind of like at the beginning of that Advent 1, right? Lo, he comes in clouds descending. Jesus coming uh, with angels in tow. So today, what is meant? Uh, when, when will these things be? And so what, the first question is, what is meant by these things? And the answer is the destruction of the temple. When will these things be? The destruction of the temple, which which did occur, like I said, in 70 A.D. And like I said, I never really knew how to take this passage um, because it, it describes you know a lot of things that we can really kind of get on board with, like see that no one leads you astray, many will come in mind, you know, claiming to be me, all these things. But it actually makes much more sense knowing that Jesus is answering the disciples about the event that has already that happened in 70 AD. So everything he says in the next two paragraphs has already happened. It's already, and, and in fact, um, 
when, if we use this to, to look forward from our place into the future, then we are doing exactly the very thing that Jesus is trying to prevent us from doing. Which is to say, this is a, or at least Matthew, uh, which is to say that this, these, this pronouncement is for a particular time and place. So we actually don't need to be particularly upset about it. Um, you know, woe to you, you know, those who need to flee to the hills of Judea, and, and we'll get into all that. And, you know, it'd be terrible if, if you're pregnant or nursing in that time. Like, it was 2,000 years ago. So, it makes a lot more sense when we understand that the warning to, is to the generation that Jesus is speaking to and not to us. Now, we can glean things from it, of course. But, and we do well to follow some of the cautions. Uh, you know, for instance, see that no one leads you astray. That's really good. But we read this section as an answer to the question, when will no stone be left upon another? So that's, that's how we're, we're going to read this. Okay? Make sense? All right. Well, let's just read... Uh, let's, let's read the first... See, so starting with verse 4... And uh, to uh, to fourteen, four to fourteen. Can somebody read that for us? Somebody be willing to read that? Yeah, thank you, Dorsey. And Jesus answered them, "See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed." For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations then the end will come. Okay. So in each case where he's talking about the end, he's not talking about the end of time. You know, Revelation 21, uh, with, with the cloud with New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. That's 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 not what we're talking about. And I think it's really helpful if we understand that. Um, if we're talking about the temple, the end of the temple. Um, so Jesus answered them to the disciples saying, see that no one leads you astray. Now that's, that's the, always the, the burden of the prophets, isn't it? Because, because they are um, constantly saying doom and destruction, but other false prophets are saying, hey, it's going to be okay. God's going to save us. It's, you know, and, and God is constantly saying, don't listen to that. Like If you follow that, you're going to be in big trouble. You need to know. You need to take care of yourself. You need to return to righteousness. And so it's a it's a typical prophetic um, sort of mantra, feeling, seeing that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, 
and they will lead many astray. Now, it is true that in that time, in that, uh, in that season uh, before the destruction of the temple, between Jesus and the destruction of the temple, that several people came around saying, not I am Jesus, but saying that I am the next divine king. Uh, and, and they, you know, would, would, uh, would call, I mean, they would gather a following. And, um, and so, of course, there were many claiming to be, to be God or to be the, the Christ, uh, even if they didn't use that exact terminology. And he says, and you will hear wars, and you'll hear rumors of wars. And this was actually a, a fairly peaceful time in, in, in the life of Israel, although they were occupied by, by the Romans. But the Romans were always in some war. And the Parthians to the, um, to the east, they, they were, uh, there was a fairly tumultuous time. There was always, according to the commentators, always sort of a, a rumbling uh, during this time about uh, a, a great big war that was going to break out. Um, and he says, see that you're not alarmed. Like, in other words, this is the natural course of events. Like, you, you, this is not affecting you. This is not the end of the world. Don't be alarmed. It has to take place. But the end, which is the destruction of the temple, the end is not yet. So it's gonna, we're going to keep going, right? So, uh, and, and, and remember how important this would have been to the disciples and for Jesus, and it's amazing to me that Jesus understood this because he's leaving, right? He's going to die, and then he's going to rise again, and then he's going to ascend, and he's not going to be here. And they need to be able to hold on to this. You're going to see these things, and you need to know that I'm not coming. Then, you know, that's that's just hold tight. This is not. Um, don't be alarmed. The end is not yet. Nations going to rise against nations. Kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now, I didn't write it all down, but there were, as you can expect, as is the normal course of events, earthquakes and famines in that region in that period of time. And so are there, I mean, of course, there are still earthquakes and famines in in various areas of the world. But that doesn't take away from the fact that these things happened before the uh, destruction of the temple. He says, these are just the beginnings of the birth pains. Remember, don't, it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. You know, hold on, this is going to get, we're going to have Good Friday before we have Easter. Then, actually, I guess the church in the temple would have felt more like Good Friday, period. But anyway, so that's not a good analogy. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. Now, who does that remind you of? If you're thinking about that period between Jesus and about 70 A.D., who was uh, delivered uh, to tribulation and, and put to death? Well, Jesus was, but he's talking to the disciples. Yeah, Peter, James, John, well, not Andrew. Apostle John, Andrew, they all were. The apostles were, in fact, exactly as Jesus said, given much tribulation, and 11 of them were put to death. You be hated. By all nations, for my name's sake, read about Paul in the book of Acts. And Paul wasn't there on the Mount of Olives with Jesus. But he was one of the apostles. And Peter would have been the same. And all of his disciples. We hear about John who was exiled uh, in, uh, to Patmos, which is right off the coast of Turkey. And so, um, or Asia Minor at that point. And, um, and, and so they were. They were hated uh, by all nations. The, throughout the Mediterranean world. 
And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And we see this, like, people come in, and, and this is why Paul is, has his ministry, right? He's teaching people to uh, what is true because false teachers are coming in, and there's division within the church. And, there, you know, people are saying, well, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos, and, um, and others still are saying, well, I follow Jesus. And, and, and he says, forget it. Like, people are, there's, there's factionalism in the church. And, um, and people are falling away. They're betraying one another and hating one another. Golly. Now, again, just because these things still happen, and we can see patterns in our own church, our own life, um, Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple. And it happened then. Which actually is, is I think, uh, educational or informative. Um, that, that image is part of human nature, I think. He says, and because lawlessness, lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, are you saved by your endurance? I'm sorry? Saved by grace. Saved by grace. I think what he's saying is not that those who make mistakes or do things that they wish they hadn't done, or follow somebody they wish they hadn't followed, uh, that, that they will not be saved. But I think, I think what he's saying is that um, is that holding on to the end, you will not be sorry. Like, you will be recognized. You will have, I don't like the, jewel, you know, the jewels in your crown, but you will find yourself incredibly blessed. And holding on to the end, you will be shown to be faithful. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world, and I think that's the whole known world. I don't think he means uh, every, the whole globe. The whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And Paul's message did reach Rome before 70 AD. And that was the center. That was the hub. And missionaries went out from Rome all over the, the known world. And, the, and then the temple was taken down. So it's, I, I think, for me anyway, it just is really helpful and makes much more sense of this, this paragraph. And then we're actually going to get to uh, some more of it. But it just makes more sense when we understand it in that context. Any questions or thoughts leading up to this so far? Yes, Alicia. Obsession with signs of wanting to have a sign about something, or interpretation of something as a religious, uh, having religious implications. I guess there are so many of them in here. Yes. What What is the obsession with having uh, uh, religious signs that uh, that imply the the sequence of events? Is that is that? Yes. Well, I mean, Paul says that's part of the Jewish culture. I mean, the Jews seek signs. You know, that's that's. That's, they want to know. And I think also, as a matter of faithfulness, they want to know what to expect. And they're asking the one, okay, are we, what do we need to do to get ready for this? And he said, you just said that, I mean, that would have been catastrophic. That would have been, as you, as you probably know, like, the, like when, the ex, when the Babylonians took over and the Israelites were exiled, the temple came down. It seemed like the very, it was the end, you know, uh, at least for a, a massive season. And so... Um, so I think that I think they're just wanting to be prepared in accordance with their culture, is 
best answer I have for that off the top of my head. I like selling Me too. Yeah, me too. I mean, I would love a lot of times, you know. We would, when, I, when I used to do um, youth ministry, Young Life, uh, we would uh, give the talk on Saturday night and we'd send the kids out for like, you know, 20 minutes of quiet time to, to reflect and be alone with God. And we'd always pray that God would like make, send them a meteor shower, you know, like, like you know, shooting stars so that, so the kids would be like, I saw a sign. Um, and that didn't really happen. But um, God did show up in, in great ways. I'm tired, y'all. Um, the, um, okay, so any other what questions about the first, up to first 14? Thoughts? All right, let's keep going. This is, this, now, now we're, this is the part that I was like, oh gosh, I gotta, I gotta figure out about this. The abomination of desolation. All right, let's get uh, somebody, can somebody else read um, the rest of the passage from 15 to 28? In your best, in your best apocalyptic voice, Charlotte. Charlotte's naturally a, a apocalyptic sort of person, yeah. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is his in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation such as have not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So, if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, He's in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Well, that's all the time we have. Uh, so, thank you. Um, you know, I, mean, I actually do want to do some more research on, on, on this part. But... Um, but the commentator, the main commentator I read from Matthew, his name is R.T. France. I'm actually going to quote him in just a minute. He says, we don't actually get to the transition to the second question until verse 36. Um, and, and I had already spelled out what, what, where my break would be before I, I looked at that. But, um, so I, I want to actually do more research on the, the tribulation and the and the um, vultures gathering and the the trumpet call and all that, but I do I did want to talk about the abomination of desolation. Um, it says when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Now, if you go back and look at the prophet Daniel, um, you would see that there was a horrifying sacrilege that Daniel predicted 
when the king of the north, is what Daniel called this person, would abolish the regular sacrificial system of Israel. And as it happened in 167 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes conquered Jerusalem. And in very intentionally, as you would in, in those days, in order to sort of um, not, only, not only to um, bring the people you capture into your culture, but sort of humiliate their own culture and show that your gods are greater than they, their gods, he, um, he set up pagan sacrifices in the temple. You know, it wasn't the sort of thing where you would say, all right, we're taking you over, but we're going to honor your religion. And that, no, our gods are better than your gods. And we're and set up um, sacrifices in the temple. And this, um, this hero, Judas Maccabeus, regained, uh, led a revolution, the Maccabean revolt, and gained control of Jerusalem. And he ended up uh, kicking out Antiochus Epiphanes and, um, and purified the temple and restored its true worship. Now, someone who is more familiar than I am, that, that is Maccabee, the Maccabean uh, revolt is actually celebrated in a Jewish holiday. And does anybody know which holiday that is? Hanukkah. Is it Hanukkah? Yeah, Hanukkah. Is it? Yeah, the um, eight crazy nights, right? So, so that's the, that's that's the one that signifies the Maccabean uh, remembers the Maccabean revolt. That's great. Because that was in that short period of time with the Maccabees, the Jews were free from anybody controlling them. Hmm. Romans wouldn't come in for another fifty or sixty yeah. years. Yeah, Richard said that the, the Romans didn't come in for another 50 or 60 years there. So I don't really know that much about the intertestamental period between Malachi and, and, um, and the New Testament. But um, so, so that's, that is the event, though, that Antiochus Epiphanes and the Maccabean Revolt. That is, that is uh, what Jesus is referring to. And he's, it, was, it was prophesied in the book of Daniel. And he's using that past event as a metaphor for some future event. When you see the abomination of desolation. Now, scholars have pointed to three different things, events, that that could have been. If we're talking about the destruction of the temple. In 40 AD, so this is about, what, seven, seven or eight years after Jesus the emperor Gaius ordered that a statue of himself would be placed in the temple, on the altar. But it never happened. And I, I can't remember the circumstance, but it, 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 um, it didn't have. He ordered it, but it didn't happen. So that seems unlikely. Second, about 67 AD or so, the zealots, the, the sect known as the Jewish sect known as the zealots, took over the sanctuary. And um, Josephus, who's, who's a Jewish historian and, and a, an incredible resource that many, many, um, most, I would say every scholar uh, looks to for historical context, Josephus talks with horror about how the zealots polluted the sanctuary. Um, and, and I don't know exactly how that happened, but, but they polluted with the sanctuary. They mocked the temple ritual. In other words, they would, the zealots would have said that, that the, you know, probably like, not unlike Jesus, that the uh, this sacrificial system was 
blah. You know, it just wasn't, it wasn't doing anything. It wasn't faithful. And they would have mocked it. And there was fighting about that. And there was literally uh, bloodshed in the temple. And that's another possibility. The third is the Romans did finally break, break in, kick out the zealots right before the uh, destruction of the temple. And place their flags around the temple. Uh, whether there was any worship on the altar or not, I, I don't know. And this scholar that I referenced, R.T. France, Richard France, says that none of these three, fit, three events quite fits what the verse says. And it seems wiser not to claim a specific tie-up with recorded history, but to recognize that the desecration of the temple was an ever-present threat once the Roman invasion had been provoked. So that's what he says about that. It wouldn't, it's probably best if we don't try to tie that particular thing to a, um, uh, to a particular event that in history. Um, and and in, if you're interested in the lack of a clear tie, so a lot of people said, well, Matthew obviously wrote after the destruction of the temple because how else would he have known in order to project these things as predictions. Well, that's because they were actually predictions that Jesus um, predicted these things prophetically. Uh, so the, the lack of a clear tie actually speaks to an earlier date for Matthew, if you're interested in that sort of thing. Richard. I was going to just say that the physical temple that Daniel was referring to was not the physical temple that Jesus encountered. No, the physical, that's right, that, the physical temple that Daniel is referring to is not the same physical temple. That, Jesus is not trying to imply that it is. It's, it's, he's using that event as a... As a what, what, what I was trying to get at is, is uh, I think Daniel's prediction was fulfilled. Yes. And Jesus' prediction was fulfilled. The temple was was pulled down in 70. Yes. But of all of Jerusalem and all of Judea was destroyed in 173 or 174 by Hadrian. Hmm. So for me, the desolation is when Hadrian came in and wiped out all of Jerusalem and moved all the Jews out of Jerusalem. Well, yeah. So I mean, I think that, I mean, I'm comfortable with that. Um, I mean, that's just yes. So uh, Richard was saying that the Hadrian in 170 A.D. just leveled uh, Jerusalem, and that would be the ultimate fulfillment. And, I, and I'm comfortable with that um, as, as a fulfillment. Uh, I think that, um, I don't know, I can't remember what I had. A, had a, <laughs> you're right, I just, I, I go with you uh, about that. Um, I, oh, I know what it was. The, um, the Left Behind series, you remember, remember this? made a big deal about the abomination of desecration sitting in the, uh, in the temple. And again, like, we're not waiting on this. This is, this happened. This is, this is ancient, at this point, ancient history. Um, it's fascinating to know that Jesus predicted it, and because he does see beyond the horizon uh, in ways that we can't. But um, he spoke prophetically, it was fulfilled, in the same way that Daniel's was fulfilled as well. And he just goes on to describe uh, that, it, that that's when you need to flee. That, that's, that's when you, you duck and cover. And he's speaking again to that generation. 
and and I can't give you the details about how people fled, but it, but I'm sure it was as you can imagine, devastating. They're trying to get away from armies and there's nowhere to go. So they're hiding in the hills and in the caves. And, and, um, and it would have happened just, just like that. And, and as Jesus said, if it happened on a Sabbath, that's terrible because you can't go anywhere because you're faithful. Like, and that's, I mean, that's, so that's, I mean, that would have been, that's if, and if you're a general, that's when you would do it, right? So you could, so I don't know. I don't know how that went, but. That's pretty much what I've got. Like I said, I'd like to do a little bit more. Um, I feel like my brain is, is coming to a close. Um, but I don't understand. The light, I mean, it does certainly seem to transition uh, to the, the coming at the end of the age. His parousia, his, uh, his return. Uh, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So I want to do a little bit more research about that, but I don't have anything sort of decisive or authoritative to say about that this morning. Questions about all the authoritative things I do have to say. That's the second coming. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, so, so if, if, as France, uh, the uh, scholar says, it doesn't transition until verse 36, then I would, because yes, it sounds to me like that's, he's referring to his own coming, but, so I want to, I, I need to understand, I'm a little foggy on that, on that argument, so I want to, I want to know that better. What can we as disciples take from this, if it's referring only to something a long way, long time ago? Jesus was real. Jesus was real. Now, you might even say Jesus is real, but, um, but yes, the physical Jesus. The physical Jesus. Yeah, he was a real person, no doubt. I mean, I don't think, I think very few people dispute that. Josephus, that scholar, does refer to him. So, not much, but definitely refers to him. What else? Yes, Katie has something to say. generation should be looking out for the signs of Jesus's coming again. Yes. And I think it does apply as much to us in this generation so as Katie, that generation. Katie's saying that it does apply actually as much to us as it did then because every generation faces tribulation and every generation needs to be looking for the signs. You know, and I don't I don't disagree with that. I think the the interpretation that I've given to you makes makes it a little more manageable. Um, uh, which is not to say that we shouldn't be looking for the signs, but I also think we need to be careful to, about over-spiritualizing. So, um, I, and we certainly are, gonna go, are going to get next week into what we are to look for, and I don't mean to imply that we don't have to worry about it anymore, because this, remember, it's, it's a two-part question. When will it be the sign for these things and the signs for your coming? Um, and so next week, that's what we're taking a look at. So we'll... 
like I said, and I'm going to do a little bit more research so I'm a little clearer on, on that. All right, friends. Go to church. God bless you. Thank you. That was, good. That was a good comment. Thank you. You're welcome. Les- Leslie Mann, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.